The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a, name, was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, let's pray. God, we just thank you for, for this day, for this opportunity to just hear your word. Um, I just pray for Randall as he speaks to us. God, may you just speak through him. God, may you just open up our hearts and ears uh, to just hear what you have to say to us today. Um, I pray that we can just rest uh, fully and surely in you, God. Uh, we love you so much. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bailey. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, if this is the first time I've been able to meet you, my name is Randall, and I'm the pastor of Grace City. I would love to talk with you, meet you, get to know you. Um, you know, the thing about our church is um, we're a family. And so uh, one of the things that I love seeing is uh, the little ones in here, um, you know, and so if you have a little one, don't feel any pressure if they start to get a little fussy or any of that stuff. Like, I got three kids. I know what it's like, okay? I've had my kid just yelling in my ear. Like, I am like good, right? When it comes to like any kind of disruptions, distractions that people might think are distractions, disrupt, that's, not, that's not how I roll. And so, yes, see? There we go. Like, I, I love that because here's the thing. One of my favorite things about being a part of this church and, is that my kids uh, have grown up in this church. And seeing them with the kids that are running around in the morning, um, that's, that's their friends, right? Like th- those, those kids, I love just seeing them sitting around a table talking to each other because they grew up here. Um, and so my hope is that uh, you and your family grow up uh, in Jesus together uh, with other people that are going in that same direction. Um, so today, uh, we are going in, uh, back into the book of Acts, and we've been walking through the book of Acts from the beginning of the year, and, and the intention is this, that uh, we don't come up with ideas of what the church is. Like, like you know, the, the, the church of the future, what does that look like? Right, people get, get really uh, interested in thinking about what, what does the, the, the church of the future look like? But, but we don't come up with those ideas. We go back to what the church is. Jesus created the church. And so we look at the book of Acts and we see what the church is, what the church did, and, and how we can live into this, this, this grand narrative of the gospel and, and what God has done in this world. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts, studying, and today our text is from Acts 16, 11 through 15. And here's today's message. More in life. More in life. In 2014, David Brooks gave this TED Talk entitled, Should You Live for Your Resume or Your Eulogy? And in this talk, he explains that there's a difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. 
And here's what he said. He said, uh, the resume virtues are the ones that you put on your resume, which are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are, are the ones that get mentioned in the eulogy, which are deeper. Who are you? In your depth, what is the nature of your relationships? Are you bold, loving, dependable, consistency? And most of us would say that the eulogy virtues are the more important of the virtues. But are they the ones that I think about the most? And for him, he says, the answer is no. And so my question as we think about this text today is, is there more to life than resume virtues? The things that we think make us who we are, the, the, the thing that we would say, this is my identity, this is, this is what people know me for. Again, our text is Acts 16, 11 through 15. And we'll study the life of a woman who, who had all the resume virtues that made her successful in life. She was very accomplished, yet we find that she was still searching for something more in life. To give some context, last week we looked at how God had taken Paul and his team of, of Silas and Timothy in a different direction than they'd anticipated. See, they had a, a personal plan that they were going to go to Asia. That's the direction we're going to go. But God had a different plan. And Paul received a vision to go to Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe, to a city called Philippi. And so if you know the scriptures, there's a little book called Philippians, same place. This was 125 miles of a journey across land and sea, and Philippi could be described as a little Rome. There was a lot to do there, a lot to see. I feel like in many ways, uh, this city could have been very similar to like a San Diego, right? Because it feels like sometimes we're the, 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 the little brother to or little sister to L.A., right? Everybody thinks about L.A., and, and at that time, everybody would have thought of Rome. But San Diego, we're here, and we love it here, Right? But Philippi had it all. And this is the first time that the gospel hits European soil. And it's here that this woman named Lydia is seen for the first time. And so who is Lydia? Well, the author Luke gives us a short description of her in verse 14. It says she was from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. And so Lydia first uh, was from Thyatira, which was in Asia Minor. Now this is modern day Turkey. And therefore, even though uh, the city that they were going to, Philippi, and they were in was a part of Europe, Lydia was a transplant there. And see again, San Diego, a lot of transplants. Lydia was Asian. And we also find out that Lydia was a successful entrepreneur. Tony Morita says Lydia was most certainly wealthy. 
For purple goods were expensive, often associated with royalty, and the business was profitable. She was an entrepreneur setting up business in Philippi. But despite her professional success, she was still searching for more. Again, some of you today, maybe you've been very successful with your, your, your resume virtues, but is there something deeper? So the question today was, how did God transform Lydia's life? Well, there's three things that we see from today's text. And, and the first one is, it's experiencing, through experiencing, number one, a deeper need. Number two, a divine moment. Number three, a distinct purpose. A deeper need, a divine moment, a distinct purpose. So the first one, a deeper need. Look at verses 13 through 14. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now, what do we learn about this passage? Well, what we see here is that in this city of Philippi, there was no synagogue in the city. And so on the Sabbath day, which would have been the natural day of, of people who would, would have worshipped God, um, the, the team went out to the most logical place that the worshipers in the city would be, the riverside. Now, there was this Jewish custom that if there was no synagogue, that they would meet near the water. And so what we find is that this team goes out on the Sabbath day and they look around and go to, towards the water where there, again, the city, no, no synagogue, and we find that there was a small group of women gathering together for prayer. And we know it's small because it says that the, the team sat down and spoke to them. Okay, they, they didn't... Uh, sit there with, with the masses of people, right? When, when they would sit, uh, th th that's an indication that th this was a smaller group setting. And among the women was Lydia, who the text describes as a worshiper of God. Now, she would have been uh, very similar to like what we saw in Acts 10 uh, with Cornelius, uh, who was described as a God-fearer. So Lydia, with all of her success in life, was searching for something. See, there, there was, uh, at this time, uh, many gods and goddesses that she could have worshipped within Philippi. This wasn't a shortage of spiritual uh, worship and, and ideas. But at some point, she had gotten to her, a point in her life where she started to listen more about, not, not the multiple gods, but the one God, the God of Israel. And so she had gotten to this place where, where she was searching. She was spiritually searching. It's what could be, be described as she had uh, many earthly riches, but a spiritual poverty in her life that she was made aware of. See, this is much like what we suffer with in our society today. 
Interestingly, uh, Mother Teresa once said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. The more we've become a secularized society and we push God to the outside and we say that, that, that there is no God, the more we find that we just can't get away from it. That there's something that tells us that there's more. It might be the reason that you're here this morning. See again, the city of Thyatira and Philippi would have been very spiritual with the plethora of gods that they were able to offer. But what we see is that at some point in her life, Lydia had rejected those gods and turned to the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. Now again, we, we don't know how much she knew but we do know that she was a worshiper of God. Through all the material success, she had a deeper spiritual need, a spiritual poverty. And so next, we see a divine moment. A divine moment. Look at verse 14. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In her deep poverty, God meets her with his divine riches. Okay, let me say that again. In her deep poverty, God meets her with his divine riches. God has riches that are more important than money and possessions. His riches are able to complete the rich and the poor. She had the earthly success. But again, she needed something more. And it says that the Lord opened her heart. Philippians 4.19 says this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, by, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The book of Philippians. Who do you think he's seen that in the life of before? Lydia. So how did this happen? It says the Lord opened her heart. God initiates a saving work in Lydia's life and meets her in spiritual poverty. And I want to emphasize today this, that, that it's the Lord who did it. The Lord who did it. Do you see in this text, in, in later in Scripture, do you see that it's not emphasizing Paul here. You know, in, in our culture right now, and this is something that's, that's a really big deal, is there's this celebrity culture within Christianity that's all about the speaker. It's all about platforming. It's all about lifting people up and looking to them. And there's something in our hearts that's kind of drawn to that. We want to do that. And there's people that are willingly platforming themselves to these positions. And I want to tell you today that what we see here is that the work that's done was not because Paul was a great speaker. Because later he says he struggles with that. He wasn't known for that. But it was the Lord who did it. it wasn't talking about Lydia. It wasn't talking about Paul. Those, the, it is focusing on the work of God. 
Charles Spurgeon once says this. He says, the gospel is preached in the ears of all. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless there were mysterious power going with it, the Holy Ghost changing the will of man. We might as well preach to stones as to preach to humanity unless the Holy Ghost be with the word to give it power to convert the soul. You want to know that thing that's tugging in your heart? It isn't me. If there's any words that are spoken that speak to you and that start to stir your heart and it's from this, give glory to God. Give glory to God. God is the one who stirs the heart. God is the one who speaks to us in ways that we could have never done. This is a divine moment for Lydia. This wasn't her saying, look at how great Paul is. Look at this team that came out here all this way. No, she's, she's looking at, at, at God. God has done it. Lastly, a distinct purpose. Look at verse 15. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, again, to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. How does she get from this place of, of, of having this divine moment to the steps to understanding what her, her true purpose is? Right, the, the way we could frame it is like, where did she get from, okay, it's, it's the, the resume virtues to, to the eulogy, eulogy virtues, the, the things that I, 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 when I'm gone, when I'm done, like these are the things that will last. How did this happen? Well, it says, verse 15, after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me, be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She convinced us. What, is, what, what happens in her life? Well, it says that she responds to the gospel by being baptized. Here's the beautiful gift of baptism. It's something that you don't do on your own. It, it's, it's a sign of the work of God in your life. And, and it's this place of obedience, of stepping in obedience and saying, I no longer am the Lord of my life. I'm no longer the king or queen of my life any longer. But it is the lordship of Jesus. He's in charge now. And it's this gift that we get to experience the gospel. It says when you go under the water, it's experience, it's identifying with the death of Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, it's raising in victorious life because Jesus has raised us from the dead. Right? It's, 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 it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's an obedience step. And, and what we see is that she responds to the gospel in this way. She starts to share the gospel with her whole household. Here's the thing we need to understand. is that those in her household weren't told, this is what you have to do. But they made a faith step. It's believer's baptism. 
They believed in the gospel. They believed in the, the things that she was sharing with them. This good news. And she starts to live out the gospel. She says, I want to be faithful to the Lord. Stay with me. See, her purpose in life no longer was just her business and her success, but it was fully embracing that everything she was doing, everything in her life was, was serving God. Everything she had in life was because of God. Everything was leading up to this moment. Do I see the things that are placed in my hand, whether little or much? Do I see them as a gift from God? And do I see them in a way that I can say, okay, Lord, I'm here to serve you? I was sitting this week with a friend. He was talking about just his excitement for the fall and, and, and college students coming and all of that happening. And he was just like, I want to open up my house to, to, to have students come. And I told him, like, are you ready for that? You really ready for that? He's, I said, he said, how many are you thinking? I'm like, well, probably like 40, 50 students. He's like, oh, okay. All right. Like, all right. Well, yeah, let's do that. But, but it was the heart. It's the heart. And for her, she was urged to say, how can I serve? It wasn't like Paul saying, hey, I think you should really do these things, and, and this is what I think about this. And, and she's like, no, if, if you see that God is working in my life, how can I serve? What can I do? Her purpose, like, changed, right? And God was doing that in her heart. I love this, uh, what it says um, about this description of her in the Theology of Work Project. It says this, convinced of the truth of the Christian gospel, and believing that it was for everyone. She bore witness to her entire household, and with her, they were all baptized. The apostles stayed on with her for several weeks, instructing her in her household and what she needed as a follower of Jesus. There in her large house, she, she began to first uh, the first Christian church on Greek soil, welcoming other new believers into the fellowship of faith. This is where the first church started in her home, right? There's this, this beautiful, okay, what's my purpose in life, God? And for her, there was a distinct purpose. He gifted her amazingly. She'd accomplished so much, but it wasn't for her. Her eulogy in the end would have been this woman who accomplished much, but believed it was all from God. Right? And so as we think about today, the life of Lydia and what God did in her life, what are some takeaways that we can, we can take from today? And so uh, what, what does it look like to live uh, on mission like this? The first one is this. Asking God for a new heart. Asking God for a new heart. Have you ever looked in your own heart or looked in the mirror and thought to yourself, as much as, as I've done and as much as I can do, I still feel empty inside. I still feel this, this nagging thing that there's, there's something missing. And, and, and to come to, to God and say, God, I, I can't do it. I remember a friend telling me, he said, he's, he's accomplished much in life. 
And there was a, there was a young guy who came to him. He's like, man, I, I wish I could do all the things that you've done. And I remember my friend telling me, he said, you, you want to accomplish what I've done? He says, you want to know what the end of it is? He says, if you go up and you go up the stairs and you open the door, he said, you want to know what's behind the door? He said, it's an empty room. It's an empty room. He says, I've been there. It's an empty room. And as much as you can accomplish in your life and I can accomplish in my life, if it's not done through the Lord and what he can do, it's going to be an empty room. And so asking the Lord and saying, God, fill that room. I need you to come into my life. I need you to to take over. I need you, God. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll take that empty room heart and I'll give you a new heart. Who does it? Who's the one who works it? God. So you and I need a new heart. And so asking God for that new heart Second, it's this, seeking God's definition of me. There are a lot of ideas about how we define ourselves. Where do we look? Where do we go? And the the beauty of the gospel is this. Like when you look at the message, what was the message that Paul was preaching, that he was speaking as they were sitting in that small group? What was he saying? Right, what was it as, that the Lord opened the door to her heart as he was saying these things? What was it? It's the same message that we see all throughout the, the, the scriptures. And here's the simple message. It's not about what you do. It's what has been done for you in Jesus. That's the gospel message. You and I could never work and earn our own salvation. The, the, the self-salvation project is over. And as he's looking at her and he's sharing with her, the self-salvation project is over. Jesus is enough. The God-man, Christ, came from heaven to earth lived the life that you and I could have never lived. He was sinless. And we nailed him to a cross and he experienced the punishment that I deserve. Could have never earned it. But that God met us in that place and he didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. And so now the question is this, if that's true, If I believe that that's true, if my definition isn't me looking in the mirror, measuring myself that day, but saying that God measures me in a whole different way and looks at my life in a whole different way and lifts me up from the bottom, what's his definition of me? A.W. Tozer said this, The meek man is not a a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority because some of us struggle with that inferiority thing, right? Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declares him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. 
in himself nothing, in God everything. You want to know what the gospel is? That in God, right, in my own estimation, before God, all of the things that I've accumulated in this life, all the things that I could ever do on my own strength, all all of that stuff is nothing, yet in God everything. That's the riches of God. That's a purpose worth living for. Says that's the motto we live by. Even in my weakest moments, I am strong because of God. This week, I was um, meeting with a friend. He shared with me about just a worksheet that I need to, to work through every morning. He asked me how I was doing spiritually. I said, you know, eh. He says, I got something you need to work through every morning. It's a a worksheet called, Who Am I in Christ? Who am I in Christ? You know, the thing that we can wake up with every morning is, Who am I? (laughs) And we got a lot of questions, right? But he says, you want the solid foundation. Read this, these different scriptures about who you are in Christ. And so this week, I'm going to send that out in the email. I hope it blesses you. If, you, if you, you need that, like I do, to be reminded of who I am in Christ, and you, you need that too, because you need to see God's definition of you, and I need that too. Third takeaway, surrendering everything to God. Uh, Brendan Manning once said, the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become. The more we realize that everything in life is a gift, the tenor of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. Awareness of our poverty and ineptitude causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness into wondrous light and translated into the kingdom of God's beloved son. Do you see that? Right? As rich as she was, as wealthy as she was, she understood that she was spiritual, spiritually uh, impoverished. Right? She was in poverty. And, and, and for us in the world that we live in, we need to understand that the same thing is true for us doesn't matter how much we have, whether we think it's little or small, but, but the reality is in our, in our life, we have a lot, right? I, I've just been uh, devastated this week, like seeing what, what's happening in Afghanistan, seeing what's happening in Haiti with the earthquakes, and just, I remember when I went on my first mission trip, I remember my wife said, she's like, we got to go. I was, I was a college student. Haiti, the, 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 the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I remember we went there and, and I, I, I just, it, it hit me. There was, a, there was a little boy named Bickinson. We got close that week. We became good friends. And I remember leaving and just being crushed because I, I, I realized that his life was going to be the same. He walked to school five miles, 
Five miles to school every day just to be there. Just, this, just a little kid. And now having kids of my own, just to think that, that kids like six, seven years old were walking five miles to get to school. Right, like it, it's a reality check for us. And understanding that what I have is from God. Lord, help me to be faithful with that. One of the places of surrender that we see in this scripture is baptism. And later in the month of September, we're going to be doing baptisms at La Jolla Shores. But my encouragement is this. If you believe the gospel, if you believe in Christ, what we see in scripture is that next step is in obedience to him to be baptized. And so take some time. Pray about what that would look like for you. But this is a, this is a, a step of surrender, saying, Lord, I need you in my life. I believe the gospel. I trust in Jesus. It's, it's, it's my faith that saves me. It's my faith that saves me. My faith in Jesus. Jesus saves me. I want to step in obedience to you. All right, so later next month, we're going to do that. I'll share a little bit more about what that looks like. But the cool thing was, was this, is that in Lydia's home was the first church and it started in Philippi on the second missionary journey. And the letter of Philippians was written to this church. It's so cool. It's so cool. And so as we wrap up today and we think about what the gospel message is and, and just the, the gospel for Lydia, what she needed. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet, why? For your sake, for my sake, he became poor. He became poor. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The riches that you and I need more than anything in this life is the ones that Jesus can offer through the power of the gospel. It's in his death that you and I have life. See, that's what it means to understand that there's more in life. It's found in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of being able to hear Lydia's story, Lord, and how you changed her life and how you worked through her to see the first church in Philippi planted. God, you were at work in this. And I pray that today we can see our lives as open-handed before you and that there is more in life than maybe what we're focusing on right now. Now, when we get to the end, people remember that our lives were surrendered to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. 
If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.